For those of you who have been following this week on the radio, I've been speaking about the Elijah company, the Elijah company that God is calling forth. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. This is 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. We don't know where this man came from. But it's obvious he had been hidden away in the prayer closet. Jezebel had come killing the prophets of God. No doubt she tried to kill Elijah. And he's been hidden away in the prayer closet, crying out for God to come and do his work knowing that he could not do the work. And the story of Elijah develops in such a way that finally we see him break. And every person who attempts to do the work of God will finally break. And at that point, that person will either flee to Mount Horeb for a touch of God's healing in their heart, or they'll turn in bitterness and walk away. Praise God, Elijah did not walk away. He knew his only hope was found on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. But I'm getting ahead of the story. There are several characteristics outlined in chapter 17 of this Elijah company that God is calling for in this last day. First and foremost is an absolute refusal to accept compromise with Baal. You cannot serve both God and Baal or God and money. And so there is an absolute call in the church today to not be caught in the finances of America because they are coming down. So the call to the Elijah company is first and foremost an absolute determination in my heart that I will not compromise with the world because Jesus is sufficient for me. Number two, the necessity that Elijah felt to ask the Lord God of heaven for judgment unto repentance against the nation of Israel. Likewise, today we are calling for men and women to cry out before God asking for judgment unto repentance in America, not judgment unto destruction. I love America. It's the most wonderful nation this world has ever seen. We have been blessed beyond all people. It's not for us to ask God to destroy this nation. It's for us to ask God to bring whatever judgment he needs to bring upon this nation that will cause it to turn and repent. Israel was an agrarian nation. 
So Elijah went right to the heart of Baal in asking that the rain stop because everybody believed that Baal sent the rain. Number three, the Elijah company will be characterized by men and women who have spent a great deal of time hidden away from the world without any attempt to be important or to be recognized, they know that their heart is found in Jesus Christ. And they will not rebel against being hidden away. They will not go out in self-seeking power for recognition. They will wait patiently upon the Lord for the word of the Lord to come to them and then they will go and speak that word and revival will take place. Number four, the Elijah people will discover, even as Elijah discovered, that provision will come from the hand of God, not from the hand of Ahab. God is the one who provides provision for his people. He'll open a business and he'll bless it. You open a business in your own strength and in your own power, and then you attempt to follow Jesus, the rain will stop. And you will have a time of intense discipline. And you will work yourself sick. There has to come a time for the Elijah people, the Elijah company, when they recognize that God is the one who gives the ability to gain wealth. God is the one who opens the door to bless his people. Provision comes from the hand of God. Number five. There must be today in the Elijah company a recognition that God has stopped the rain in the modern church. It doesn't appear to be so. The church seems to be prospering as never before in history. But if you look carefully at the fruit, the fruit is that of unrighteousness and worldliness and lust. It is not the fruit of the spirit We must come to terms with the reality that the American church is dead and that its success is not counted by the Lord in terms of numbers or the education or the eloquence of its pastor, but rather God measures the church by the absolute sold out men and women who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, who walk clean before God. That's why we have to cry out and ask for the judgment 
that will bring repentance. And that judgment begins in the house of God. It begins on our lives. Now that brings us to where we are today. When the church of Jesus Christ in history has floundered, has lost its way. It's happened many times in the past. When the church of God has been compromised, when it's been taken over by governments, or it's been taken over by culture, God always withdraws and lets it die. And always, he then sends revival. He always sends Mount Carmel. I know Mount Carmel is coming to America because God has always sent Mount Carmel in the past. Always a nation has been given an opportunity and a church has been given an opportunity to determine whether or not they will repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. Some have. Some haven't. And you can see the catastrophic loss of England or Sweden or the Netherlands or other places where the Holy Spirit came in power and attempted to turn their hearts. Go to, the, to Wales today. Every vestige of the Welsh revival has been destroyed. It is now utterly godless. Revivals flowed in America. The Third Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, and many others. And the power of the Holy Spirit changed the whole culture of the nation. Has to come again. I remember just before the Jesus movement break, broke out in America, I was in college. There was no spiritual interest. Everything was dead, 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 dead. The Christians had no interest in Jesus Christ. Liberalism was beginning to flow in the Department of Theology of which I was a part. Lies were making their way in. My New Testament professor made the erudite statement that true objectivity is subjective. In other words, there is no objective truth. I was shocked. I was a floor monitor, meaning I had supervision over one wing of our male dormitory. That's how at that point I was earning my income. One night I went in one of the rooms 
the two men who lived there were known to be rabble-rousers, drunkards. Many nights I helped them stagger in the back door before the deadline and put them to bed as they vomited. And I just walked out the door and closed it. I said, let them lay in their vomit. At least they're in their beds. Utterly ungodly, ungodly, wicked men. One night I went to their room and I was surprised as I walked in the room. Those were the days when a Christian college was very strict. Lights went out at 10 o'clock. Everybody had to be checked in by the floor monitor. I went into that room and I flashed my flashlight and there were probably 20 guys sitting in that room. None of them Christians, all of them known to be troublemakers and on the verge of getting kicked out of this college. And the worst of the bunch said to me, Ray, we've got to get to God. I said, what? We've got to get to God. I said, what are you talking about? Are you on drugs? He said, Ray, teach us how to pray. I was shocked. How do you explain it? It was the power of God that had come into that room and into these men's hearts. This was just the beginning moving of the Jesus movement where suddenly, sovereignly, men began to say, I've got to get right with God. Well, it wasn't the theology majors that were in that room. It wasn't the so-called good guys on college campus. It was the worst of the college campus kids. And I said to them that night, I don't know how to pray either. So how about if we learn together? Well, how do we do it? Well, why don't you just talk to God like you're talking to me right now, except get honest. Oh, I went through a prayer meeting that night like I've never been through in my life. These guys just started talking to God. And in the midst of their talking to God, they began to cry. College men. Alcoholics. They began to just talk to Jesus and confess their sins. And the power of God came into that room. Finally, early in the morning, they said, we got to go to bed. Will you come tomorrow night, Ray? I said, yes. It was almost the end of the year. It went on until I was out of there. God moving, preparing the way for the Jesus movement that would sweep thousands of young people into the church. It was God who did it. It wasn't anything I did. All I did was say, let's just talk to Jesus like we're talking to each other. And they began to weep and confess their sins and get clean. 
Mount Carmel will come again. Revival will come again. And it will be God-breathed. It will not be institutionalized. It will not be a meeting where we say, hey, let's meet tomorrow night for revival. No. It will not be planned by man. It will be planned by Jesus. The part we share in what God is about to do in this nation is we pray for judgment under repentance. We ask God to begin to prepare the ground of the hearts of the wicked. Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. Finally, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. After a long time of judgment, of famine, of death. Chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourselves to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land, all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not, to, not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction, Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, Obadiah, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or a kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have Worship the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I'm puzzled by all of this because James tells us that Elijah was a man just like we are. I'm transported around in my Toyota. The Holy Spirit hasn't moved me around. You all don't wonder, am I going to show up one Sunday because the Holy Spirit has taken me to another place. 
He was a man like we are. No, I want to be a man like he was. A man who could be used by the Holy Spirit to confront the wickedness of a nation. A man righteous before God. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I want you to recognize that if you're a part of the Elijah company, you will be blamed for troubling the land and the church. You will not be popular. You will speak a message that cuts to the heart. Now, I want to tell you that all of us face Mount Carmel's. They're not all huge like this Mount Carmel was, but every one of us in this room has faced Mount Carmel. Where God has brought about circumstances in our life to say, will you serve me or will you not serve me? Are you going to go your own way and be your own source and your own supply or are you going to trust utterly and completely and totally in me? Are you going to let me be your provider or is the world, is Baal your provider? Are you going to work yourself sick, trying to crank your own machine? Or are you finally going to stop and say, Lord, it's yours. I will only do what you tell me to do. Now, lest any of you think that's a sentimental statement, you can easily become utterly exhausted doing exactly what Jesus tells you to do. Exhaustion is not a sign that you're trying to do it in your own power. Exhaustion is merely a sign that you have given everything you have to the purpose of your heart and your life. So whether it is given to the Lord Jesus or it is given to the devil, both will call you to give it everything you have. And in part, to bring each of us to a place where we finally recognize whether it's for our flesh or whether it's for Jesus, we're not big enough to pull it off. That Jesus has to be the one who does it. I'm not satisfied any longer with being comfortable with my little bit for the kingdom of God. I'm wanting much more. I see the need is far greater than my little meager supply of Holy Spirit power and presence. It's going to require an ocean of Holy Spirit power to move this nation. That's only going to happen as the Holy Spirit can have an Elijah.
stand and be filled with the spirit and speak what God gives him to speak, but not to be over impressed with his own ability. And not to have any pride in what he thinks he can do. Because Elijah shortly after Mount Carmel hits the wall. I'd rather hit the wall before Mount Carmel, not after. Everyone is summoned. Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, verse 18, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, let's get this thing all out in the open. Let's get it wrapped up once and for all. Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. What's wrong with his head? He did not know the power of God. He did not know that the prophets of Baal had no power that God would neutralize their power. I don't care what you're facing today. If you're clear in your heart that you are a servant of the Most High God, no power of the world can stand against you long if you will turn and totally put your trust and confidence in the cleansing fire of God and ask it to begin to fall on you as a living sacrifice before God. Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Over and over and over, that challenge has come to you. If the video game is God, follow it. If your money is God, then follow it. But if the Lord Jesus is God, follow him. How long will you waver? Either serve one or serve the other. You cannot serve both. If your own opinion is your God, follow it. If your ambition is your God, follow it. Who is God? Follow your God. Set up your altar. See if fire will come. See if God will honor it. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. That to me is one of the saddest statements in all of scripture. 
I am sick of the passiveness of God's people. You think you're safe by not taking a position that is taking a position against the God of heaven. It's like the the young man who went into the northern woods to earn money for college. And he told his pastor, I'm very concerned about what's going to happen because this is a godless bunch up there. Well, when he got back from the summer, his pastor said, how did it go? And he said, it went wonderfully well. Well, in what way? They never discovered that I was a Christian. That's why he had a wonderful summer. I don't want that kind of wonderful summer. I want to declare myself. I don't want to just be passive and say nothing. I am a servant of the Most High God. I want the fire of God to fall on America. I want the cleansing of the Spirit to come. If the Lord is God, follow him. But Baal, if he is God, follow him. The people said nothing. So Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Now this is where you begin to see what happens to a man when he begins to burn out. He begins to think he's the only one that's holy. Not true. God has 7,000 who have not kissed Baal in Israel. This is the first sign that all of this struggle that Elijah's been through is now getting to him emotionally. When you begin to feel like a victim following Jesus, you're in trouble. You better go get some rest. I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Cut it into pieces. Put it on the wood. Do not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood. But not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God. And I'll call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said what you say is good. They all were there for a great show. Who doesn't love a great show? They were there for entertainment. They weren't there to determine who was God. In scripture, fire represents wrath, and righteousness. Wrath and righteousness. Now Elijah has the wicked prepare their bull and they began to call on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. 
Do you know why they did this? They expected him to answer. He'd answered before. The devil is not passive. He's not powerless. He'll, he'll speak to us. The devil is not powerless. He's not neutered. He's still the angel of the air. He still rules in this nation. But now he is blocked by the power of God. I'm asking God to block death from flowing in the life of God's people in America. Many of God's people in America have been bleeding out, losing finances, losing health, losing, 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 always being stripped out. It's time for us to cry out to God and say, Lord, stop the death. Don't let the devil rule over your people any longer. Set your people free. You've got to love Elijah. He begins to taunt them. You know, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Call on him. And they begin to slash themselves with knives and cause the blood to flow. You think serving the devil is fun? He will cost you your blood. With Jesus, it costs Jesus his blood, not my blood. He continues to taunt them. Midday passes. They continue their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, three o'clock in the afternoon. No response. Now I love the first thing that Elijah said to the people. Come here. First thing he says to them, come near, come, come. Nothing hidden here, come. I am praying for God to say to America, America, come to me. Come to me. I have something to show you. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descendant from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel, or your name shall be Overcomer. With his stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering, the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. No false fire was going to enter into this deal. 
Boy, we're in a place in the church where we've got to put out our false fire. We've got to stop operating in the flesh, thinking that somehow in the flesh we can do the work of God and bring forth revival. We cannot. Elijah stepped forward and he prayed this simple prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. Licked up the water in the trench. And all the people fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord needs a company of men and women called the Elijah Company. Who will lay off, who will let go of all things of the flesh and begin to function in the spirit and be totally sold out. A people who will begin to cry out, Lord, send revival. Send, O oh God, judgment unto repentance. <clears throat> repentance always comes after calamity. Calamity is coming upon America. It may be the collapse of the dollar. It may be I don't know, a natural disaster, but some great calamity is about to come upon our nation. Because there is no rain in America. The fat and happy worldly churches we know today are going to go bankrupt or they're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I pray they will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that pastors and people alike will turn with repentant hearts and cry aloud for the fire of God to fall. That America will know once more that God, He is Lord. Consider what I've shared with you. And intercede for America. Mighty God, I cry out for this nation. I cry out, O oh God, for the National Prayer Chapel, for our listeners on radio. Lord, I ask for the convicting power and presence of your Holy Spirit to sovereignly begin to move among us. Lord, when we try in the flesh, we just create animosity. Lord, it has to be by your spirit. 
Lord, come forth with power. Begin to redeem us. Put us on our faces. Cause us to cry out. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.